1: you're going to have to keep adapting you're going to have to keep listening really hard and Mm -hmm. finding a way to set the boundaries that are important to you and finding a way to express who you are in that moment and what you need and what you're feeling and what you're thinking that's the fun of it honestly
0: hey everyone welcome to human to human a revolt network podcast human to human is a space to reimagine self-love strengthen into personal relationships, and peel back the layers of the human experience, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and I am so glad that you're here. Today's special guest is writer, author, and podcaster, Catherine May. Catherine and I did a human-to-human deep dive into her latest book, Enchanted, and the ways that we can experience enchantment in our daily lives amongst change and growth. I have to say this about Catherine's book. It's not one of those books that hands you all of life's answers to all of life's questions. That's kind of what I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Instead, it leaves you with a mirror of relatability, fresh curiosity, which led me to more questions and a perspective shift on how to view our everyday life as magic. Before each episode, I like to share a song to add to your playlist, a book to check out and a reflection question inspired by the episode. So here we go. The song of the week is Breathing by Hamza. This week's book is Enchanted by today's guest. And while you listen, reflect on this question. How can you incorporate putting your feet on the ground a bit more this week, whether it's going to the park or a beach, truly taking your shoes off, builds a connection to our earth and our source like no other. And I want that for all of us. After listening to this episode, you will definitely know why. Now, let's get human to human. With Catherine May. Welcome, Catherine May, to the Human Human Podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Of course, of course. Now, I'm not going to lie. So, we're going to get to go through the beautiful new book, Enchantment, that you just wrote. Mm -hmm. And what I thought I was going to get is not what I got, which is exactly (laughs) what you told me was going to happen by the end of the book. It was just like the epitome of life. I literally, I do know why I walked in like this, but I walked in thinking like it was a solution-oriented book. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Like looking for just like the solutions to life. Like it's titled Enchantment. You think, of course, it's going to have it all and it all makes sense and I'll be done. Instead, I received a glimpse of understanding. I received a mirror of reflections and a... I don't need a pool of relatability. That was like, and literally a pool because I related to your swimming stories. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. So it was really beautiful because while I was going through the relatability parts, I was getting a little frustrated. I was like, well, what, because what? you would point things out. You write, like, you would give point me the answers. Out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> pointed out things of the human experience that are so real and so raw and can be so painful and have no answers. And then you said, and we should embrace that it. it has no answers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Am I happy with that answer? <laughs> and then I keep, <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, I'm like, is she gonna? Is the next chapter gonna give it to me? Because because I went through um the chapter of taking off your shoes, and I was just, I was in love. I was in love. Um, I just came back from Nigeria at the top of this year, and was what I felt while I was in Nigeria. I felt there was such an element of taking off your shoes, of walking around and being safe and comfortable and happy and yeah, yeah. feeling everything around us without being threatened by, you know, like we're just, we're so threatened by the world that is actually designed for us to take mm-hmm. all of it in. But but mm-hmm. there's so many parts that we haven't engaged in on a natural human yeah
1: relational kind of yes relational exactly
0: way and so i felt that and i brought a lot of that and i've always been into the the idea and theory of taking off your shoes in what life has but like Mm -mm. you know now we're an experience now when we're at the park it makes sense but do we walk in the grocery store with no shoes on you know like how deep does you might get? get thrown out actually i think of i don't know They'd probably raise some kind of hygiene issue
1: and chuck you out. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: Yeah. you know, and but you expressed it so beautifully of just like taking off your shoes and being so, and being inviting the world at Mm. all parts of how we experience the world into our lives. And I enjoyed that part. And then I would go to the next chapter and you'd point things out and I'd be like, all right, so what's the answer? And you'd be like, nothing. Nope.
1: And so I just withholding book. I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thoroughly, I, I, I'm so grateful to be able to express that truth to you because I think that you, it's like, by the end, I recognize you also knew what you were doing. You also knew what you were writing. You knew that you were expressing just the humanity and just the truth. And then saying, I hope that you can, experience the tr- the truth of that without fear, without judgment, without shame, right. and with genuine relatability, recognizing that, oh, you said it so beautifully about how certainties, they harden us. And I just, that was my, that was what I needed. I was like, they do, they, they harden <laughs> us. And as we know this truth, we still are confronted with the fact that the world requires some kind of certainty from us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm giggling because I'm so grateful that you feel able to say that because I think um I think loads of people, you know, are, are uncomfortable with that uncertainty, but don't want mm. to admit it. And I, I think we're all uncomfortable with uncertainty, but it is real. And yeah. I, I th- honestly, I think one of the big problems that we face as humans trying to find our way through is there are plenty of people who will always claim that they know all the answers And they will give us these answers and then they watch us fail at their systems and blame it on us. And I've been through that pattern myself so many times that I now just I'm tired of it. And I know that I have to learn to radically embrace this sense of uncertainty. And particularly Mm. with the world as it is right now, like there is there are so many unwanted changes happening for all of us and we can't stop them. Like we, we honestly can't stop them. We can do what we can to influence them and to ameliorate them and to support the people who are the worst affected by it and to listen. But honestly, there's a lot of unstoppable stuff happening here that we can't control. And we've got to get really deeply comfortable with our lack of control because it's, it's real and it's the only way forward, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So beautifully put, so beautifully put. And I think, oh, that even leads me to, I absolutely was reflecting on my, you know, where I have needs for control and where I don't, where I've mm-hmm. learned to let go, where I've unlearned and where I'm still holding on. And yeah. I wonder for you, <laughs> there was something that came to me um, around, I would say somewhere between the chapter of air or the, mm-hmm. excuse me, the, the section of air and I recognize that I'm wrestling with, we hear ourselves. We, we tell ourselves, give each other, give yourself grace, give yourself yeah. grace. Like, you know, today you can put the work down and you, you're not expected to grind and all the things we have, all the quotes and all the sentences. <laughs> and I recognize in myself that there are days that I'm afraid to give myself grace yeah. because I don't know what I look like on the other side. Am I yeah. still as hardworking? Am I still going to get this done? Like what happens if I say, okay, yeah. Do I give myself mm. grace every day? Is that twice a week? How many times do we live by grace? <laughs> you, want call, really you want important? to quantify it. You want like a grace chart that you can take. <laughs> you know, like how much grace is too much grace?
1: <laughs> and you, I, just, I
0: I always want a grace spreadsheet. Like I'm sure that would yes. work really well for me. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, oh, I did the grace thing yesterday. Today needs to be a little bit of pessimism. You know, like yeah. which one is it? Yeah. 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 And I wonder with you, with with so many things you're juggling- you talked about the disease you've had to deal with for so long. You talked about so many like real life stuff. And yet you write books. Yeah. You share with us. The books take hard work. They take vulnerability. They, they take yeah. deadlines. They take a lot. So I wonder for you, have mm. you experienced that like fear of giving yourself grace through that? Or how does grace show up in between yeah. deadlines, in between the like the the things that we have to get done?
1: Yeah. And I, like, I was always someone that got stuff done by force and, you know, by, yeah, I made a joke about spreadsheets, but I was the spreadsheet queen. Like there's this joke in my family about when my son was born. And I started off by making a spreadsheet about like when he slept and when his nappies were changed and all that kind of thing, because I I felt like I had to stay in control of of everything in order to, to cope. But I also kept making myself sick and kept working myself to complete exhaustion. And I've learned the hard way that force just doesn't work for me and that grace is the only way forward. And I now, like, when I talk to writers, I talk about the, the difference between discipline and desire.
0: Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster?
1: Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every
0: genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips.
1: So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. And I think that discipline, particularly in creative practices, will only ever get you so far. Like it will create five or six weeks work maybe like about the same as you can stick with a diet which let's face it it a couple of weeks and then your enthusiasm runs out and then maybe a couple of weeks more of hating yourself and then you're like oh give me the ice cream please give me the ice cream (laughs) um whereas if we if we learn to work from desire from engaging with the motivations that that's underneath that very surface kind of spreadsheet tick boxy rule-bound way of operating that will sustain us forever and and i work i write books from a place of desire from from that fundamental motivation towards it rather than the surface motivation and that's how they get done and the patterning like of my work through them is very irregular i will i will write intensely for three weeks and then not do a thing for a month and wonder if i'm ever going to write again and then I will flow back into it because I found that desire again. And and that's how, that's for me, how I write those much longer pieces that take a year because discipline just runs out really quickly.
0: Mm. I hear you. How, how do we, like for you having a creative lifestyle, I believe we are speaking to people with creative lifestyle. I believe we're all creative, but mm-hmm. what if we have a more structured lifestyle, let's say a certain type of yeah. job, how do we implement, how do we, how do we work or wean between desire and discipline? Because mm. I would assume we would need both.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I wrote my first six books uh with a full-time job. Um And mm. the way I did that was, It was like a mixture of both, really. I mean, in lots of ways, like all my discipline was spent by turning up to work every day and and doing all the stuff that you have to do. Right, right. But I I always wrote early in the mornings um, and I trained myself to go with like when I naturally woke up rather than setting an alarm. Because if I set an alarm for five o'clock in the morning, I'd feel terrible and I'd, you know, you just feel sick sometimes when you wake up too early. But if I woke up in the night, which I often do, and it was after four o'clock in the morning, I trained myself to be grateful for the opportunity to go downstairs and write. And that was a really, really different feeling because then it was like, oh, wow, this opportunity has opened up for me to do this thing that I absolutely love to do. And I just kept connecting with that, that love and that little part of me that always wanted to be a writer. and. It, it got me through a lot of years when I was very, very busy anyway, and nobody wanted to read my output. Um, yeah. But it, it was the desire that that did it, rather than the discipline. I think.
0: Mm. What's the last thing you forgave yourself for, for the first time? Oh my god!
1: I'm. You know what I'm? I think I find it easier to forgive myself than other people do. Like I. And that for me is a um is about practicing humility, like to keep telling myself that I'm not any better than other human beings, and that therefore, when I've done something that I think is like bad or embarrassing or beneath me somehow, I remind myself that I'm no better than anyone else and I ask myself if I'd forgive them and i I kind of do um, what is the last thing though I don't know like I think I think there's so many things <laughs> to forgive myself for I'd love to I'd love to have a specific example but there's just too many of them mm. um I I think I've had to forgive myself today for being really grouchy about every email that's come in <laughs> mm. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I had to call my assistant today to like grumble about every single word of every email and, and, <laughs> and then afterwards <laughs> like it's okay. You feel under pressure sometimes. You didn't actually shout at the people that sent the emails. You did well. It was fine.
0: Right, right. You <laughs> needed to release it somewhere. And you're oh, so grateful yeah. to have a place to release. Yes, yes. The world is extraordinarily
1: demanding, isn't it? And I, sometimes there are some days when the demands just feel like an awful lot.
0: <laughs> I complete, and that, that is why I'm I'm reading this gorgeous title and I'm saying Enchantment. I think, but Even when I want to be enchanted, even when I do feel the enchantment, I also recognize everybody outside, even if all of us are enchanted in some way, we still require so much for each other to live. The world just requires way more. And I've actually been kind of confronting this as well. Um, A friend recently asked me like, how are you doing? And I told her I'm actually afraid of this creepiness of unhappiness that's coming in because I didn't expect to ever be unhappy. I, I I understand life is life is beautiful and big and scary yeah. and it has all the things and'm I'm, I'm, we're all experiencing them but I also I also prided myself on being a happy person a person who mm. can mm. past some of these things but I recognize lately I've been collecting scars more yeah. scars than I thought yeah. I would in adulthood and I'm like oh it's kind of hard to keep keep hold of keep happy. of the enchantments. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I, do you know what, I would say that happiness and enchantment are really different things. And I've got a bit of a problem with the word happy. Because I think, I think it's a really flat emotion, actually, like it's got nowhere to go. And it only lets in one thing. And I, I, I would, I would suggest that maybe one of the reasons why happiness isn't sticking for you, is that it doesn't let you feel the full spectrum of human emotions. And there are Mm. there are so many other interesting corners to explore that your brain probably wants to explore. And like sadness and grief and frustration and anger are human. They're like part of that full human experience. And it's like stretching your limbs. Sometimes you need to need to have them. I I find happiness quite boring.
0: (laughs) What a I'm great at parties, th- as you can imagine. <laughs> no, I've got to go to a party with you because we will be in the corner like being real people. <laughs> like, you know, and sometimes and that, and that's like, that's also what I couldn't believe out of the book. I, I was like, she's being so real to the experience of humanity and the realness of that experience doesn't have as many answers as we think.
1: Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. And it's complex. And I think enchantment for me is about, Walking with complexity, rather mm. than taking one note from it, um, and and like so much of what we read about nature is so one note. You know, like nature is good, nature is fascinating, nature is like wholesome. Um, I, I God, what a boring thing to do with nature! Like nature is also violent and 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 like bittersweet and mm. unpleasant and full of death. Like the whole life cycle is in nature. And what's really interesting is to be with that when we go outside rather than to just be with this like one little sanitized element of it that we're allowed to have. I'd I'd far rather have the whole, uh, the whole thing.
0: Yeah. I really want to circle back to your answer about forgiveness because I can, Mm. I can actively hear that that is the first time I've heard somebody say that I've asked Mm. that question to many guests and, it's actually one of our favorite questions to ask to guests, and I am really resonating with what you just said. And I think it's because you said you don't believe you're above the experiences that happen, the the, the failures, yeah. the the sadness. Those I am really sitting with that. Why do you think it is so hard for us to forgive ourselves? Is is that why?
1: We are see, we live in a world that preaches the gospel of perfection, of getting every single thing right, and of presenting that to the outside world like of, of certainty of being so sure about what is right and wrong and how it should be done and joining tribes that all agree on that and i i think we're exhausted by that like i i know that i'm wrong about a load of things that i believe very deeply i have to be because all of the evidence of my life so far has shown me that i'm going to be wrong about a whole load of stuff or I'm gonna just not have known or not not engaged with it or not thought about it. And why would that be any different now? Like why why would I suddenly have changed and suddenly got everything right in this phone in my life? I haven't. And <laughs> and you know, like my I've got a son who's about to become a teenager in a couple of years, and I know he's gonna tell me I'm wrong about a whole load of stuff, you know. <laughs> uh well, um I'm I'm raised for that, but actually we've got to just disinvest in being right it's Mm. it's not a truth like rightness is not a thing it's not static it's not stable it's not universal instead we're all going to have to carry on changing we're all going to have to carry on listening and adapting and entering dialogue with the outside world we don't we don't get to to just fix that forever (laughs)
0: um, because i'm just sitting with like we really do there there are a lot of parts of the world that when something happens to your kitchen you might say this is ludicrous but that won't fix your home that will only get you the rapper ludicrous having trouble don't panic don't be alarmed you need to file a claim holler at state farm like a good neighbor state farm is there that's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Require a level of certainty. Even, I heard you talk about this on another um, podcast and I was laughing because you were like, you know, we were, we scroll through Instagram with the sponsored post and the lack of accessibility and the mm. certainty and the perfect product and the thing that's going to work the best. And it's like, until I change it, until I tell you next week there's a one that's better. You know, <laughs> yeah, and it's like yeah. or or next week I tell you about something else that I learned that never mind the thing I told you last week that I told you mm-hmm. of guys to actually switch your whole life to do, never yeah. mind this other thing, that, you know. Yeah. And I was like, wow, why why are we so what would it look like for us to live in a world where we all have faith in the uncertainty and we yeah. give each other the grace to be uncertain? I don't even know what that looks like. Like, how do no. we, how do how do you embrace a lack of certainty and still deal with your responsibilities as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, all of those yeah. layers?
1: It's hard, you know? And I, like, one thing I notice about, <laughs> about the spaces we're offered is, you know, like, definitely within the people I follow, we're all talking about the problems with, like, the patriarchy, and with the way that ideas are handed down so strongly. But then everyone seems to be really happy to follow the next messianic man that comes along and tells them, and tells them like all these truths. And I, I think one of the ways that I cope is by fostering a deep suspicion of anyone that looks too sure and asking loads of questions. And I try and encourage my son to do the same. Like, why is this person so sure about everything? But, I, but on the other hand, there are some things that I do feel sure about. Like I, I cling to my core values and those are about family and my friends and the people I love and what I need to do to support them and be with them. And that that cuts away a whole load of other things. You know, like mm-hmm. if if everything, if you have this like knife that cuts away everything, but I need to make sure my family are happy and safe. And I know that to do that, I have to listen to them, and I and I need to be listened to in return. It's a it's an exchange. Then a lot of things become really really simple. I mean, I don't yeah. need a bigger house. I don't need a new car. I have some really comfortable shoes that I haven't worn out yet, so I'm I'm kind of fine. Um, what I really need is time with my son, where we are laughing together, or watching TV, or eating, and everything else gets pu- gets pushed out of the way for that that's yeah. that's my certainty
0: yes mm. what's the last thing you unlearned
1: Ooh. what's the last thing I learned well I've been um oh, I've been changing the way I exercise a bit lately uh I've I was always a yoga person like a devout yoga person and it, there was this creeping realization that it wasn't doing me much good. Like, I'm very hypermobile. And several different doctors and physiotherapists have said, You must not do yoga. And I went, Oh, yeah, and went off and done yoga
0: because <laughs> I'm a yoga person.
1: <laughs> right. Um, and I, I finally realized that I couldn't practice without bringing accidental force into it. Like, because I'm hypermobile, I can sit cross legged. But then I'm stretching my hips so much that it's like really bad for me a week later. And I had Mm. to I had to learn to stop that. And I've had to unlearn over stretching and overextending. I've been working with a Pilates teacher for for quite a while now to do that. And I'm I'm gradually doing it more and more. But I think really recently I've realized how um, how like I valued that. Overextension of my body as like something that showed that I was young and particularly fit, and I, I'm I'm trying to disinvest from, from that idea that in wow. order to be well, I have to be pushing myself beyond what's actually really good for me. So that's that's my that's my big ongoing process of unlearning. It's it's really slow, and it's like I go backwards on it all the time, and and you know get really tempted by one of those really challenging yoga poses that only hypermobile people like me can get into um and I have to like but it yeah those things about body and how we value wow what they can do um and how much oh I don't know how much has come into that that's distorted our physicality uh is like something that I'm going to be working on for a very long time because I Learned all the wrong lessons about that when I was young, um, and I, like as a as a middle aged lady, I'm trying to trying to learn to just accept the the shape and the form that my body wants to make. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow, thank you for sharing that. You actually, <laughs> as as you brought up, you know the the young version of yourself i think that as we get older we all recognize or maybe we don't all recognize i i would say that we all had to abandon parts of ourselves to be loved to be seen to be heard to perform Mm -hmm. to be clapped for Mm
1: -hmm. have
0: you in your constant reflections through your books through i mean your day-to-day life have you seen some of the things you've abandoned as a young girl and have you had the chance to pick them back up in adulthood Oh, so much. I
1: mean, I, I've i been writing a newsletter about this today, but I was I was thinking about this, this idea of the good student that I really absorbed as a young person. You know, like we take bright girls and we say to them, like, you can never do enough. Like you're bright, fantastic. You're doing really well at school. Now do more. And now add this in and now add that in. And you've got to excel at all of them. And you must be so conscientious like you must never make a mistake you must never drop the grade you must never relax and i i realized in my 20s that that had caused a problem for me because i was so scared of failing that i couldn't move forward with anything but i now i'm now seeing like another layer of it like, and that, you know because all my friends are good students as well and, and we all grew up together and i'm mm. seeing how toxic it is in our later lives and how we we can't let go of any single part of of the life that we're living so you know we're we're parenting our children half to death <laughs> Um, we are trying to keep the most perfect, tidy house that's also stylish, you know, like it's not just like, it's not just beautifully clean. It's not just clean. It's, <laughs> it's also so well presented and keeping up with the fashions, you know. And, our, and now, oh my like, God. the new thing that's spreading like wildfire through my friendship group is like now having a, a full vegetable garden as well as like, you know, a full time job and looking after parents, looking after the children and like hobbies and like, blah, 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 you know. Um, oh and i i am i'm working very hard on a resisting the vegetable garden because i do not need to be growing my own vegetables <laughs> i i have a really good greengrocer down the road and i can definitely buy my vegetables yes um but also like that that notion of perfection and that notion that i personally have to achieve everything because i oh, we're doing such a lot and i the patterns of burnout that we're seeing now i think are really becoming endemic to the life of middle-aged women, very specifically, who are who are holding everything all at once and still not feeling they're good enough. And yeah, it's too much. It's just too much, and we need to let go of some things. And I say this looking at a cobweb above my window, thinking oh, I'm going to have to learn to accept that.
0: <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. I, uh, I love that truth within the friendships. I absolutely understand that. I understand like, man, at every stage we are always like, oh wait, okay, now we're adding this. Got it. Okay. We're all talking about this. Got it. We're adding this. Mm-hmm. And I've been I actually been kind of speaking about this with my siblings because I recognize where our parents absolutely Instilled a level of confidence in us and they instilled this level of like, we do good work, right? Yeah. Without saying those yeah. words, it was like, you do good, you are good, you know, be good, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, I wonder how and and I I really have this like, how do I say it? This real, this very sincere grace for them because as parents, you want to instill oh, goodness of and course. confidence in your yeah. kid. You don't that they're going to turn out 32 and say um yeah. I don't know how to fail now because right. I was bred to be good right and yeah, so right. for you as a parent what you are recognizing that has happened in your life how are you now turning around and saying to your son or parenting him differently or, mm-hmm. or you know cuz you're on learning as as you're learning Yeah, you're yeah absolutely at the same time. yeah like how how do you translate be good, but also like, don't feel like you have to be good for me. <laughs> you know, like, how do yeah. you do that? <laughs> yeah. And
1: one of the things that, oh God, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but um, in a public forum, but here we go. One of the conversations <laughs> I had with my son really directly recently was about encouraging him to rebel more at school rather than less. Because I was always like,
0: if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating
1: McDonald's. Quite naturally rebellious. And I found it quite easily, like easy to say, no, I'm not doing that. And, and sort of flouncing out. Like that was my my mode as a teenager. And I don't regret it, actually, because I think it was a defence against so much pressure. But he internalises it more. And after like the sort of third day of him coming home from school in tears about feeling like he couldn't do enough work, I said, right, here's how this is going to go. You're not going to do it. And when the teacher asks you why you haven't, and this was about doing extra homework, it wasn't about doing like his sort of set, you know, normal set work. It was like, doing extra work for extra credit and I was like here's how this is going to go you're going to either lie that you did it and they will never know or you're going to say no I didn't want to do that because I needed to rest this evening and <laughs> oh, and I oh. like I would, I would happily say it directly to his teacher too but kids of his you know he's 10 years old And in two weeks time, he has got four days of SAT exams, SATs. They're a little bit different to your SATs, but they're, you know, very similar kind of idea. And he's terrified of them. And they've come with like this huge burden of pressure. And I was like, this is the beginning. Like if you don't learn to resist this now and to take from it what you need and what will help you and what like nourishes and develops you and to leave behind all the other rubbish that's got nothing to do with you then you're going to carry on doing this for like a long long mm. time until you do learn um and so yeah I've <laughs> but then like it's you know I say that in full knowledge like I grew up in a really working class family I was like the first in my generation to the first generation of my family to go to university or to get to school past 16 or whatever and you know my parents had to say to me like work as hard as you can get out of this situation but Yeah, I have. And I can see how toxic some of it was, even if it was unintentionally. And I, I need to not burden him with the same stuff and the same, yeah, huge level of responsibility that I was burdened with, because it, it, I had, you know, like I had an eating disorder, I was self harming, I was depressed, I had anxiety. I, I can't do that to him again, it's not good enough. And that was before email and social media and all the all that stuff that he has to deal with mm. now and so yeah i'm i taught him very deliberately rebellion a couple of weeks ago
0: that is very cool <laughs> that is very cool you should absolutely admit oh, that yeah. and i hope that in any form, you know, any, our listeners, whether you are a parent or not, if there's a friend you can help, is there's a sibling, if there is a co-worker, I mean, imagine that type of permission slip that you just gave him. My gosh. What was I his response? So.
1: He kind of, I mean, he, he had a, a little sly smile. My husband chimed in as well. There were both of us going, no, and here's how you tell the lie as well. Like, don't overexplain. it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> You know, like we do spend a lot of time talking about being value driven as well and, 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 you know, being honest and being kind and looking after other people and working hard on the things that are meaningful. Um, But he can't do everything and the world never stops for him and it never will. And so he's got we've all got to learn to resist. And at the moment, that's individual. But we've got to find a collective way to resist the worst excesses of this world because... It's just breaking people. And I, I'm not having it. You know, I'm being a fierce mama about that. I'm not having that happen to myself. Not yeah. if I can prevent, prevent it.
0: Oh. Wow. Oh, yeah, I have to take a, um, this, I just <laughs> really, I really enjoy that because I think even part of something that I recognize in the book is when you were talking about having menez and you mm-hmm. said that you never let it get in the way of your livelihood. Yeah. Oof. Well, I was like, yeah, I mean, yes, please. I mean, if there's something that comes to mind,
1: I think, no, I think the important thing to say is that um, I've had to adapt how I operate in order to accommodate it, because what I couldn't do is stop it from happening. Like it's, Mm -hmm. you you know, there are, there's medication that I take to manage my meniere's disease, which for anyone that doesn't know um, is like a, it's a weird inner ear condition, that's triggered a bit like migraines um, and it makes my brain think I'm upside down. And that will last for about a week. And in that time, like I'm very nauseous, I'm very disoriented, I'm like bumping into things and falling over. Like if you've seen me, I do look drunk. Um, I'm often like standing at a tilt, um, (laughs) which is just Mm. really, I don't realize I'm doing it. Um, Mm. And I, you know, when I was working a full-time job, um I like you have no choice but to take time off because you can't look at a screen you can't really talk to people you can't leave the house and so I've done everything I can to make sure that the work I do fits with that and 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 it has to fit with having a few days off sometimes because I I cannot do anything else and when you're visited by something like that you realize the the kind of folly of thinking that we're in in control because I'm not, I'm not in control of it. And I think, a lo- I think a lot of people think they can escape something like that if they do everything right. And you just can't, I have this weird genetic condition that makes me hideously dizzy and mm. I've got to go with it. I mean, like, yes, I, I can't have it affecting my livelihood or my projects or like my creative force, <laughs> Um, but also, I've learned to sort of value the times that it, it takes me out because I have three or four days when I'm lying there thinking, and that if you if you can make space for that to happen without it being traumatic, it becomes like really transformative every time. I'm visited by this this moment of change that, uh, it, and there's always something that I come out the other side with like busting around in my mind that i've had time to reflect and you know maybe maybe i need to be visited with that in order to stop for for periods of time because it it's actually i i kind of miss it when it's gone now oh wow Mm -hmm. although i won't Ah. i won't miss the like puking and like falling over obviously just to be really clear on that it's it's, grim but um yeah but it it's you know, it's taught me to surrender and it's opened up this reflective space over and over again that I've actually ended up valuing.
0: Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Earlier, we talked a little bit about what enchantment is not. It's not a comparison to happiness. Mm. Can you please elaborate on what enchantment is? Yeah.
1: So enchantment is a, a deep engagement with the world around you. And on one hand, it's really personal, like it's an engagement with what fascinates you or brings you awe or wonder or this this sense of magic and magicalness. But I also think it speaks to the communal and the collective, and it speaks to our desire to congregate and gather together and share those moments of uh, adoration of this life Um but it's it's also about having a complex relationship with the world and allowing yourself like making space maybe through ritual or through rest um, or through, or just through being in a place that opens up space to like reflect and restore and to, to churn over this this life and and to come with our full selves into that moment and and feel exactly what we're feeling and let ourselves be transformed in that moment.
0: Thank you for that beautiful definition. I love the way the
1: definition changes every time I try and describe it. It gets better every time, I hope. No,
0: it's just, I mean, because wherever you are is where you're also giving us the definition from. So I just, I felt that really deeply. And one thing I also really enjoyed about how you tied in enchantment in every part of the book is you still left me with saying, hey, enchantment is wonderful and amazing and glorious, and yet still do not put too much pressure on it.
1: Yeah, that's really true. It's elusive. And if you, if you bring force to it, if you bring strain to it, it's gonna dissipate before your eyes. Like it's, it's more like dropping into an experience rather than giving that experience. Uh, and that is a softening. It's a softening into, into an encounter with whatever's there. And, like, I, I genuinely feel that that's different for everyone. And I think that's okay, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a big game about diversity these days, but we don't like it when we see it. But we...
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God, I'm bored. <laughs> I, I'm usually never shook. Wait, Catherine, please say that again. And then please continue. Oh my God, that was so real. So
1: real. Okay, so I said we talk a, bit, a big game about diversity, but we don't like it when we sit
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning
1: when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, and I... I mean, I come from a neurodivergent perspective. Like I was, I realized I was autistic when I was 39. And I think so much of my ability to accept my mistakes and my errors and my flaws has come from that moment of realizing that stuff that I thought was my fault was not my fault. Um, But I, I also know that the more I talk about neurodiversity, the more I realize that people want that, want to understand it so that they can then make us look like them and that's not the point of this like my value doesn't lie in how much I can pretend to be a a neurotypical person like it that's not what I bring that's me getting exhausted and sick and frustrated and unhappy I think we struggle to imagine what it looks like for me to bring my perspective into the room and you to bring your perspective in the room and the next person and how glorious that can be and how unruly like I it's the unruliness of it that we have to uh we have to get really used to because it's exciting and it's how change happens but uh it's I I think when organizations talk about diversity they're not talking about that they're talking about patting you on the back and then asking you to behave in a way that that fits their existing mold. And yeah, I'm I'm
0: through with that. I hear the desire. I I also resonate with the desire. And at the same time I can hear somebody saying, but what about the lack of safety that comes in the unruly? Because Mm. there is a safety in we relate to each other. What happens if six people are in the room? We all love each other, Mm. but we don't relate. We don't agree. Yeah, I don't We're actually, actually even know. Yeah, it's like I don't, I don't think we all have any a lot of practice in that. And to say, hey guys, put your thoughts out there, and don't worry if people don't agree, or listen to other people's thoughts, and don't worry if you yeah. don't agree. How do yeah. we accompany it with saying there's still some belonging there, and there is safety there? There or is. But I mean, I think
1: I think a good. I mean, it's a skill set that we don't have, right? I mean, I, th- I think let's mm-hmm. straightforwardly say. Understanding how to work in, in genuinely diverse situations is, is simply a skill set that none of us were trained in. But we do have some models from it that have worked. Like, you know, we can think about families which actually integrate an incredible amount of diversity really well and often with like really heartfelt, violent disagreement at the heart of it. And there are mm. many, many families that can hold that and know how to do it and know how to do it with love, which is like way bigger than anything I'm asking from a, a workplace or an organisation. So we, uh, and, and actually, I, I think a lot about, um, about church congregations, um, maybe differently in the UK, because actually we have fewer different denominations at play, but they've, mm. they've always been these sites of really, really different people coming together into one space once a week to worship together and they've kind of worked you know they've they've kind of generated respect and a mixing of of really divergent lives together in a way that's fostered understanding and and you know we've walked away from that in the UK you know our church congregations are dwindling and uh, you know many churches are closing um, in a way that I I don't think is happening for you guys but we've we've lost something big we've lost a big mix of you know of social classes and uh, different perspectives different political views that used to happen very very regularly and and we used to find a way to ride through it so I yeah we've become de-skilled but we we can find that skill set again but I Mm. you know and when we talk about it we often focus on the the world edges of that, like the truly unacceptable people who I think we have to be able to step away from as well. You know, the people that believe that I shouldn't exist, like I, I can't, I can't make a negotiation with that person. Like, Mm -hmm. let's, let's say that, you know, I don't have to come to terms with someone who thinks that I, that there should be a vaccine to make sure I don't ever happen again. Um, Mm. But we, but maybe we could create a circumstance where they might actually hear me and, and modify their views. Um, but I think we could do it better than we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, of course there are extremes to that. Uh, mm. There are definitely, who think I shouldn't exist, you know, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can be over there while I stay existing and, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I'm going to carry on being amazing. And I'm you just going to just like,
0: <laughs> all good. Like, no love lost, but also yes, stay over there. We're, you know, like, <laughs> we're okay over here. There are people who are cool with this, so it's it's there is such a a mixture there, and I really love what you're saying about it. it's just a skill we're not trained in. I think in America, you know, there is a I have a binational experience. I am Nigerian as well, and I believe that that binational experience has allowed me to see people and see life just in a more yeah, nuanced what's that way
1: like what's that like moving between those very different societies like that's that must be mind-blowing
0: thank you for asking i just realized how mind-blowing it is because for yeah. so long um, yeah it was easier to fit in than to 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 really what's the word what's to really um Ooh. It's not it's <laughs> past accept. It's like to really mm, dwell. Integrate
1: and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to yeah, integrate yeah. them
0: beautifully without ever feeling like one has to be shut down before the so the mm, other one can exist or one has to be more powerful than the other. I I'm so grateful for the journey that it took to get here but it was yeah. you know especially in childhood a lot of it is like you know you're just trying to be the cool kid you want to be have cool. less you cool. want to have less you know struggles as possible you have parents with accents who who mm-hmm. came here at the same time you came here because they yeah. came a year before you came. they had you here but they're yeah. also new you want to protect them from the things you're learning at school because you don't think it was their experience mm-hmm. and they want to pre- protect you because they're the parent and that's all happening at the same time and so i am in the past i would say five years or so really like integrating it in a way that i feel so much more excited and grateful and like proud but there was a Mm -hmm. time that it was scary to be proud because you didn't know if that was safe right there were jokes made there were things like that so and and i don't i i can't wait to experience the uk on um a deeper level (laughs) of course have friends and things like that but i'd love to really like if i could live there for a year and see what is it like mm-hmm. what is the integration like because from mm-hmm. what i hear it is different from america what what i'm yeah. seeing here is we all we all pick up the same type of skills doesn't matter where we come right. from this is a melting pot and at the same yeah. time yeah. we all jump on the hamster hamster wheel yeah, and that can be yeah. very yeah. that can yeah. be so that pulls us away from so much of our raw essence and that is mm-hmm. what I'm <laughs> escaping every day, Yeah. <laughs> not let yeah. my raw essence, you know, be swaddled up in the Squish. whatever that, the- yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. And so that is the skill. That is the skill set of practicing that within myself. And when you can practice that within yourself, you give other people the grace to practice that you allow them to have their different thought and their diversity of thought. And that's why I reacted the way I did, because I genuinely yeah, feel like yeah. we're preaching it and we're not practicing it.
1: I I mean I like I've come into contact with America more in the last three years than I had for the rest of my life, and mm. I it's such a different society to British society. Like not in any way that like we're getting it right and you're getting it wrong, but just sure. I, I think we think we're the same because we talk the same language, and we barely talk the same language actually. But yeah. the values are so different, and I'm I'm getting my head around it. But the, you know, the, the extremes of racism that you guys are seeing now and this kind of upsurge in overtly stated racist sentiment is I'm quite shocking to me as a British person, the way that it's been unleashed. I mean, we definitely have it, but it always feels like a, a minority of people who are that extreme and they always mm. feel like very strongly isolated and socially sanctioned, whereas... I'm just horrified by how this is spreading in your country at the moment and how strongly connected it can be to big political parties and to big organizations. Mm-hmm. And wow, we like, God, I, I, we were blind to, to so much. And I, mm-hmm. and I think it, you know, it's a lesson to us that we have to like watch so carefully in our own country because it can, it can come can't it.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for expressing that. I, 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 I see that truth as a reality. And also, why would you have known if that is not what your world is sure. showing you necessarily, right? Sure. Like, why would you need to watch how Americans experience that if you're not American? Well, because, because we
1: endlessly consume American media and products. You know, true. like we watch, we sit and we watch Friends and the Big Bang Theory and Malcolm in the mm-hmm. Middle and none of that is going to tell us the experience that, that yeah. is, you know, Happening to so many Black people, it's totally invisible to us. And like I, you know, I feel I feel a little guilt about that if I'm. Everybody loves McDonald's fries, so yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Honest, that I've happily consumed all this like white media and not understood what that was masking. Um, but I also, it's relevant to us because I, like, <laughs> I hear a lot of white people in Britain going, oh, well, at least we're not like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you, we, you have read your own colonial history, yep.
0: haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. There's um, other things. Exactly. Yeah. We, we've yeah.
1: done some stuff. Um, and I, it's so easy to, to say really comforting things to ourselves about, about how things are and to diminish the, those experiences. And I, yeah, I, i'm looking on with horror but i'm also looking really closely at my own own little world and and what it believes and how how wrong it is quite often
0: yeah i think the the end of what you said is is really the most powerful being able to take what we're seeing and watching and learning from other people's stories on a macro level and figure out how can we on a micro level really yeah. deal yeah. with that and reflect on that and change that in our own worlds. Mm-hmm. And if everybody was willing to do that in their own worlds, imagine what would actually happen yeah. if we're yeah. all willing to change our behaviors to reckon with our own, um, either races, you know, experiences yeah. or how we put that, that out or, or whatever those things are, are mm-hmm. um,
1: like what we thought is normal, you know, those assumptions we've yeah, yeah. made about like what is normal, which so often under interrogation you realise yeah. that they don't have to be But it, it comes down to that that ability to sit with discomfort and uncertainty and, and with the idea that you're wrong, that you have been wrong, that that you maybe were misled and it maybe wasn't your fault that you were wrong, but that nevertheless you, you know, grew up with beliefs that were not correct and that's yeah like it's such a basic building block of doing this kind of work I think
0: it is how Mm. do you change or update people in your world on your operating system on the things that you have changed on the times that you were wrong how do you practice updating people in your life and Mm. and yourself I try and I mean I,
1: I it seems to be my favorite topic to write about actually like I write about it a lot in my newsletter about when my when my assumptions shift I'm always really interested in exploring that and I I'm I guess I lean towards discomfort in my work but I must say I think I find it harder in my personal relationships to own that in the, in those very direct conversations like it's easy mm. to do that as a writer because you get to really think it through and, like, lay out your, you know, like, and it all looks very clever by the time you've entered it five times. Right, right, right. <laughs> right, I, I understand it, that. I understand it's, that. I mean, like, oh, yeah, control. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find it a lot harder in, yeah, in my interpersonal relationships to to talk through those changes. Um, and I, I partly because there's a desire not to embarrass other people, I think, you know, with the intensity of that and also, you're confronting them with stuff that they might be wrong about as well. But I, I am trying to learn to say, I've changed my mind about this, or I grew up thinking that this happened, and and like not to avoid it, you know, not to avoid those moments that I now think, oh, I'm so embarrassed by that. I mean, I, I was talking recently about how my um, I wrote my uh, GCSE exams, which are the ones you take when you're 16. I wrote my literature study about African literature. I was really into Ben Okri. um, And I read Amos Tutuola and I read Chinua Acheve. And I I was so proud of that for so long. Like that was like me being a really kind of right on teenager. And I had to think about it recently. I thought, Oh my God, that was, I mean, that was an embarrassingly racist piece of work. Honestly, like in retrospect, I didn't know any better. I didn't have anyone to tell me any better. But I, I definitely was a little bit patronising about, about these extraordinary writers who I yeah. still have, you know, will never reach the, the heights of, of what they create. And I, like, I, it's okay. It's okay to have got that wrong when I was 16 and had very little life experience and no internet. Um, but I, like, actually, I think it's really important. I, and I told my son about that. I told him how... I created this bit of schoolwork that I'd now be so ashamed of if somebody saw it and and I and I think I try and I try and show my workings out in that way and, mm-hmm. and try and model mm-hmm. how it is to be wrong and in flux and misinformed and, and how that's that's okay as long as you pick it up again later and don't you know, I could spend the rest of my life justifying it <laughs> and so many people do, but I, I'm not gonna do that. And hopefully nobody will ever read it. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) For a variety of reasons. My punctuation wasn't great either.
0: I mean, but still the fact that you released yourself from it through a conversation with your son, I think is really powerful because something I really resonate with. And I think a lot of us do is the interpersonal relationship. And that is, that's the home of what what I want to do in this life, Mm -hmm. be able to deepen our interpersonal relationships, one with ourselves and with others. And it is, it's so funny how much easier, and that's why I laughed earlier when you were saying, as a writer, it's so much easier even as a as a host and a podcast host to be able to express yeah. all of my feelings and my learnings and all of this with the conversation with Catherine, who I've never met, yes. because it feels a little more macro right now, right? And you're like, oh my it's god, like, we're on our best yeah, behavior. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> you know, like we just told each other so much gorgeous stuff, yeah, and yet I'm like, okay, which one of those do I actually have to tell the people in my life later? Yeah, like yeah, who do I have to and, update? And-
1: you know, I sometimes find myself sort of secretly hoping that my family and friends listen to my podcast so they can hear what an enlightened person I am. And I like, I'm, maybe that's a misplaced desire. On my part. Maybe that's, maybe that's not fair. <laughs> I'm not broadcasting to them. It's not reasonable.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I always hope that like, in case I forgot to tell them they heard it on the podcast, because I am, I love to talk with the people in my world, but it's that same thing you said. Sometimes it's just it's just a little awkward. It's just a little embarrassing. You don't want to embarrass them. You don't want to embarrass yourself. Sometimes it's, yeah, it's just it means more. It just means yeah. it has so much more weight. And and at the same time, it, it really shouldn't because we're all we're all in relationship as mankind, as a human race. But at the same time, those people you mm. spent more time with a son, a husband, a, a friend, a father, all the things yeah, there's, there's just more way to, to expressing our changes and updates yeah. in our operatings.
1: <laughs> yeah, and do you know what? I really learned this when my um, I wrote a memoir about when I was diagnosed autistic uh, called The Electricity of Every Living Thing. And I, mm-hmm. a few years on, like I've really reflected that one of the motivations for writing that, I think, was to justify some of the worst parts of my life. Like I felt like if I wrote a book about it, everyone would understand me. And everybody would forgive me for whenever I've like offended them or flaked out on stuff that was really important to them or, you know, whatever my sins were. And Mm. yeah, it doesn't work like that. Like a book is a book and my personal relationships are my personal relationships. And the conversations that you have in real life are really different because somebody else's perspective comes into it. It's not just about my perception. It's about their perception too and i i think i learned something from that that process yeah it didn't solve oh. everything and i still have to carry on screwing up and apologizing and being forgiven Yeah, and that's probably the best way for it to be
0: i wholeheartedly agree i wholeheartedly <laughs> take that in that is it's great it's great it's it's just it's so much more healing And i was just about to ask how can we incorporate that that's that's that truth of, hey, like how we express ourselves in a more public forum in a more external way is great, but it's only one way, and the yeah. way we express yeah. ourselves in our interpersonal relationships is another way, and and sometimes carries, and and should and and should be allowed to, you know, I'm at a loss because I'm even I'm just thinking about again like you said, the same forgiveness that we look for on an external level, we should also go and experience on an interpersonal level without judgment and shame so how would you say we maybe even in your life if this conversation is leading you to a new way to do it or if there's a way you've done in the past (laughs) that you really loved how can we engage in our interpersonal relationships without shame and without fear
1: i the big thing that i keep thinking of is it's like dropping this belief that you can ever solve anything forever I think so much of the way we interact with people is guided by this idea that if we can do this one thing or have this one conversation, then everything's sorted and everything's solved. And, and, you know, that that goes for life as well. Um, It doesn't work. I mean, life is, you know, my previous book, Wintering, was about how cyclical life is. And I actually... It's undesirable to break those cycles. You know, you're always gonna have to solve a new problem, even if you even if you manage to dampen down like absolutely everything that's happening to you right now, which is unlikely. And and that profound acceptance and as a practice, returning to that acceptance that you can't solve this, you're gonna have to keep being in relation, you're gonna have to keep working, you're gonna have to keep adapting, you're gonna have to keep listening really hard and mm. finding a way to set the boundaries that are important to you and finding a way to express who you are in that moment and what you need and what you're feeling and what you're thinking. That's the fun of it, honestly. That's that's what this is actually all about. That's what living is. And this, this false idea that we can simplify everything and get rid of all obstacles is what causes us so much pain all the time. And I... Mm like actually I've learned to like the fact that I have to keep mobilizing I have to keep getting up and being like okay something else has happened in we go um that's I don't want that to stop because when that stops that's a kind of death and that that means that I'm irrelevant to everyone when that stops so I'm Mm. learning to relish it that's so good. That's so good.
0: Oh, it, it leads me to the, to the end of our interview. And again, the book is enchantment, please. It is out now. Please check out this book. I also want to uh, um vocalize this part, awakening wonder in an anxious age. I really love that. How can we experience enchantment with really the same sentiment of, of my last question of experiencing enchantment while still recognizing that ever-evolving yeah, of enchantment.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and actually, one of my aims when I wrote Enchantment was to kind of democratise the experience of enchantment rather than to, to kind of stick with the focus that we often have, which is like one big thing, like go and travel a thousand miles to see this amazing landscape feature, and there you will receive wonder, and that will that will do you for another ten years, and then maybe you can go somewhere else. like. There's so many problems with that. (laughs) There's so, so many Mm. problems. I mean, not least because it doesn't work. It's not enough. And it excludes so many people from the table who desperately need wonder and enchantment in their lives too. And so enchantment is a daily granular practice in your life that you find wherever you are and everyone can look out of their window and see the moon like everybody can find flowers in the cracks in the pavement and you can find enchantment right there you can find it by holding a stone that you pick up off the street you can find it by noticing the seasons changing and you can find it in the beautiful people around you and the the amazingness of of how people connect with you like that if that's not too grand a a statement so don't go looking for enchantment once and for all in one special place like keep looking for it everywhere every day and you will find it you'll be given it
0: Catherine May everybody wow Uh
1: This was such a good
0: conversation. I had a great time. Same, same. what a gorgeous reflection. I I feel like we, I hope you feel this way as well, but I just feel like you were such a mirror to exactly what I needed in this moment, exactly what I was looking to heal or looking to really, you know, wreck through and was questioning and and going through in terms of that enchantment and, and constantly feeling like if it's not big, does it matter? And it's yeah. like every small part matters, everything matters, It all ha- it's yeah. all happening. It might not be happening at once, but it's happening. Mm. And mm. It, it just, it brings almost all the cliches into truth. It's like yeah. everything happened yeah. for a reason is the most amazing sentence <laughs> I'm hearing right now. It's <laughs> and all and, um,
1: meaningful, like meaning is mm-hmm. like, we bring the meaning and everything, every tiny thing sparks this incredible web of meaning that we're part of making and like your first thing you said to me was like you know that happiness isn't isn't with you right now and i was like
0: good you yeah, know great oh. i was like i was like oh my god i just told her that in real life like uh, yeah i i I, pre- I love this space to be vulnerable but to tell you that i'm like oh god now you know <laughs> but you just yeah it is so important
1: it's so important like so many of us are not happy in any given moment and that is that's a beautiful space to be in if we can trust it
0: mm if we can trust it thank you so much for this gorgeous conversation thank you thank you it's been lovely yeah thank you guys for listening if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes and follow us on Instagram at human to human with Stacy Ike. That's the number two, not the word two. You can also check me out at one take stace. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and remember, curiosity is the pathway to consciousness. So let's take the next step together.